Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. Governor Andrew Cuomo says his vaccination plan for New York is preliminary and that much more information is needed to finalize the distribution of the vaccine to New Yorkers when it becomes available. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. Cuomo says his plan, which the Federal Centers for Disease Control required all states to submit, is just a first draft of what could happen when the vaccine is finalized. He hopes that will occur over the winter. Cuomo says more than seven months into the pandemic, New York has conducted 12 million coronavirus tests. But it's possible that a vaccine could require two doses per person, and it's estimated that around 20 million New Yorkers will want it. That's a total of 40 million injections in what will hopefully be a very short amount of time. I believe this is going to be the hardest operational challenge that we faced since COVID began. According to the governor's plan, the first phase would vaccinate essential health care workers and people at high risk for complications from the disease, including nursing home residents and staff and health care workers in patient care settings. Phase two includes teachers, first responders and frontline workers, including grocery store clerks, as well as New Yorkers with existing health conditions that leave them at high risk for complications from the disease. The third phase would be everyone else over 60 the fourth would be all remaining essential workers. Finally, in phase five, the rest of the population would be able to get the vaccine. Priority in each phase would be given to those living in areas where the rate of transmission of the virus is highest. The governor continues to be critical of President Donald Trump and his administration. He says they've mishandled the pandemic so far, including organizing testing and providing personal protective equipment, and he says they're unprepared for distributing the vaccine. Cuomo, who's head of the National Governors Association, compiled a list of 36 questions from the state's governors. They want details, including whether the vaccine will be allocated to states by the number of cases, a state's population, or other data. Also unanswered, says Cuomo, is how will the vaccine be funded and will states be reimbursed for the cost? It's basically going to come down to we're going to deliver it to the states and then tell them you need refrigeration equipment to keep it at minus 80 uh, degrees and you have to do two uh, dosages, 21 to 28. Fine. And then how did the states do it? It's testing redux. A White House official in a letter released last week says that plans are already underway for implementation of the vaccine nationwide. Douglas Holscher, assistant to the president, says Cuomo would know more about the plans if he had attended the past 17 of 39 briefings held for the governors. He says recent briefings focused on details of vaccine distribution and administration. Cuomo senior advisor Rich Azapardi responded in a statement that the governor believes the briefings are a total waste of time. 
and nothing more than political propaganda that uses elected officials as props to heap praise on the president and deny the virus's existence. The governor also says that the 20 designated virus hot zones in New York have shown some improvement and that by the middle of the week, he may be able to announce an easement on some of the lockdowns in those areas. And I do anticipate changes to the zones. Cuomo says the state has more tools to accurately pinpoint the location of new COVID cases than when the pandemic began, and he says he hopes that focusing on the virus clusters and taking prompt action to contain the disease can help New York avoid any larger economic shutdowns this fall. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartog. Well, you had a fascinating conversation with Dr. Don Levy, the director of the Shinna Polling Research Institute. Of course, the famous Shinna Poll now tied to the New York Times and doing national polling for them. You were speaking about how to make sure that polls are accurate, and he brought in from 2016 the idea that they'd learned, for example, education. He says white voters with a bachelor's degree supported Hillary Clinton 56 percent to 37 percent for Trump. When you add white voters without a bachelor's degree, 59 for Trump, 36 for Hillary. Well, yes, I do think that this is something that the Democrats have to be extremely concerned about. Up until now, billionaire, supposedly self-announced billionaire, Donald Trump, has basically said, look, I'm for the common man. <laughs> he says it, and to some degree he gets away with it, and he gets away with saying it's us against them. In the beginning, we all thought it was kind of funny when he said, I'm all for the undereducated. You know what? He meant it because he's basically relying on the fact that he throws them red meat and that they will respond to him. And in a typical classist sort of way, they will say, we don't like these people who have college degrees and other things. That's the kind of guy that Trump is. He plays one group off against another in order to win. It's the worst president we have ever had in this country. Let's stick with the Siena poll for a moment, because one of the interesting things that was said by President Donald Trump was, hey, look, New York is in play. I can win New York, which prompted a funny exchange between you and Levy, who says Biden is 32 points ahead. You know, when you're a lying, 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 lying liar, as Trump is, of course, you can say anything. And he does. Up is down, down is up. Black is white, white is black. He says anything he wants. New York is in play. Yeah, New York is in play. You know, polls can be wrong when there's a couple of points difference, and they seldom are, by the way, but not in a case like New York or Massachusetts or California. It's just ridiculous. But he says it. He likes to lie, and his people expect him to lie. And like, there he goes again. Isn't that wonderful, Mabel or John, whatever? This is the way this man operates. New York is going to go overwhelming against Trump, and I got my money on the table. 
also the governor this week talking about uh, how we need to have vaccine coordination with the federal government. He is the chair of the National Governors Association, and they sent a letter to the presidential administration saying we need to coordinate this and figure out how we're going to get, for example, in New York, 40 million vaccine doses distributed to people, and it apparently takes two shots. He said this would be an overwhelming task to be done, and we don't even have a vaccine yet, but the plans have to be in place. You know, if anybody can do it, Andrew Cuomo can do it. Cuomo has been accused. His new book is out and apparently doing quite well. He's being accused of being a dictator. You know, when tough times come, you're going to need somebody who really knows how to lay down the law. Obviously, the legislature as a complex body doesn't do this. It's going to take a leader, and that leader right now is Cuomo. If he goes too far, he's going to get a rap on the knuckles, I'm sure. But in the meantime, you need somebody who lays out the priorities and the parameters. And if the legislature doesn't like it, let them say no. They can do that. Well, we know that the state and all states now strapped financially because of the pandemic and all that's happened as a result. Still waiting on more federal money. Should that come, it will help somewhat with a potential $30 billion deficit in the next two years. But one of the things that was on the table and then off the table, which could bring revenue to the state, is legal marijuana. Now we're seeing that after failing for the past two years, Governor Andrew Cuomo is prepared to call again for the legalization of adult use of recreational marijuana in 2021. Cuomo also wants to issue new rules that would govern how CBD and extract from the cannabis plant is manufactured and sold in the state, including in food and drinks. Well, you know, uh, that's sort of covering his bets because he's saying, look, we don't want this thing everywhere. We want to make sure uh, that we do it right if we're going to do it. Uh, and yes, revenue is being lost. I know that. I live in tiny Great Barrington, 7,000 residents right across the line. And uh, you got to watch the cars coming over with the New York plates and the Connecticut plates to Great Barrington. And we see more and more people wanting to have stores selling this stuff and fields to grow it. So a great revenue source is being lost. And we are not hearing terrible accusations of carnage based on the marijuana. And maybe that's going to come. But up to now, we're not seeing it. At least I'm not. Legislative Gazette Political Observer, Alan Shartoff. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. New York U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand joined other elected officials at Hudson's Public Square 7th Street Park this week to promote legislation to help small businesses recover from months of limited operations. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas was there. Closures and cutbacks that were mandated by the coronavirus pandemic have decimated small and mid-sized businesses. Gillibrand says the bipartisan reviving the economy sustainably towards a recovery in 2020 or Restart Act would create a new loan program to fund six months of employer and operating expenses for businesses that have lost substantial revenue and need support beyond the Paycheck Protection Program. COVID has been with us for the majority of this year, and the recent uptick in cases are reminders that it will continue to be with us well into next year. During that time, most hospitality businesses will not be able to operate on the scale that they would have if at all. Our recovery plan must recognize that the need for extended relief is greater now than ever. 
New York restaurants, bookstores, cafes, theaters, venues make this state a great place to live and visit. They are the cornerstones of their communities, job creators, and engines of our local and state economies. We need to help all those businesses weather this storm. Gillibrand and fellow Democrat Antonio Delgado of the 19th House District say the Restart Act should be part of the next coronavirus relief package. Delgado points out that March was the last time Congress passed something on a bipartisan basis. It is now October. The CARES Act gave small businesses back in March access to three major programs, the PPP program, the idle loan, and my Small Business Repayment Relief Act, which gave six months debt relief. These important resources were utilized by folks and helped them sustain themselves through these challenging times. But guess what? It hasn't lasted forever. The PPP program expired in early August, in early August. And here we are in October, more than seven months in to this public crisis. We must extend the life of these programs and provide additional specialized funding for small and mid-sized businesses. And that's where the Restart Act comes in. This legislation builds on the PPP and creates a new forgivable SBA loan that would provide up to $12 million for businesses hit hardest by the pandemic, experiencing at least a 25% loss of revenue. Delgado adds the six-month program would give employers flexibility when it comes to utilizing funds that will not be tied to payroll. He says the money can be used for rent and utility payments. Now that time is ticking, and has been for seven months, and we're heading into, now we're in the fall, heading into the winter months, trying to make sure that we are focusing on a comprehensive package that meets the needs of every American across this country has got to be the focus. Gillibrand is hopeful the Senate will soon vote on the issue. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. Visitors will now be restricted at two upstate New York correctional facilities after recent outbreaks among inmate populations. The Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard reports. Visitors will now be restricted at two upstate New York correctional facilities after recent outbreaks among inmate populations. Effective 3 p.m. Wednesday, visitation was suspended at New York's Green and Elmira correctional facilities. Transfers in and out of the facilities have also been suspended. At Green, about 100 inmates and 26 employees of a prison population of more than 1,000 tested positive for COVID-19 over the last two weeks. Wednesday's announcement by the Department of Corrections and Community Supervision comes as local leaders have been calling for action. They organized a press conference Wednesday afternoon outside the Greene County office building in Catskill. Sean Groden is the Greene County administrator. He's worried about community spread. Terrified. Yeah. We, we just had to close the school. Um, I'm not a believer in, in Zoom education for youngsters. The increase in cases linked to Green Correctional Facility forced the closure of Greenville Elementary School and has also delayed the reopening of movie theaters and event venues, something that was set to happen this Friday. Groden and others have a list of four demands compiled before Wednesday's visitation announcement. The list includes providing county health officials with DOCS's COVID information to facilitate contact tracing, ensuring all inmates being released test negative for the coronavirus and to regularly test correctional staff, notifying the county when infected staff are released, and ensuring tests processed by the state are turned around quickly through a hotspot designation. Mike Powers, president of the NYSCOPA union, which represents corrections officers, said the state's restrictions are a start. They're not quite to our standard, 
but you know it's a good starting point and and we're in a, I, I, you know we're in a better position now than we were yesterday but officials wanted action sooner pat linger chairs the green county legislature and is also the town supervisor for new baltimore he said concerns about COVID-19 in the jail were brought forward two weeks ago. He said the issue was raised with the governor's office and through the Capital Region COVID-19 response control room. Linger says throughout the pandemic, there's been a good response from the state through the control rooms. This particular issue, we've just not had good response for, uh, positive or negative, uh, just almost no response. New York State Assemblyman Chris Tague, a Republican from the 102nd District, praised the state's COVID-19 response under Governor Andrew Cuomo early on, noting conference calls with stakeholders that included state lawmakers. Then he came up with, uh, he changed things to these control room boards and cut the state legislators pretty much out of the whole picture. And we're the ones that are fielding the calls. We're, we're the ones that, when somebody has a problem, they call our office. Announcing the new rules for Green and Elmira, Docs said in a statement, quote, the department takes seriously its duty to ensure the safety and well-being of those that work and live in our correctional facilities. During this difficult time, the department is appreciative of everyone's patience and understanding as we continue to face this virus together, end quote. Statewide, the department says 18 inmates and five staffers have died of the virus. Nearly 1,000 inmates and more than 1,400 staffers have tested positive for COVID-19 since the pandemic began. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Lucas Willard. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Officials in Westchester County, New York, will be taking steps to curb a recent increase in COVID-19 cases. There will be a mask mandate for students. County executives looking at other options should the uptick continue. The Legislative Gazette's Allison Dunn has more. Democratic Westchester County Executive George Latimer delivered his weekly briefing Monday, saying the news is not good. Right now, we now have 1,033 active cases. That number is dramatically larger than we've been reporting in past weeks. It was a week ago that we indicated that there was a significant jump when we reached 868 active cases one week ago. The week before that, we were at 678 cases, and we saw the line started to point up. But breaking 1,000, which we did on Sunday, uh, and now 1,033 cases. The last time we had 1,000-plus uh, cases was on Saturday, June the 6th. The county had 58 hospitalizations as of Friday, up from 22 a few weeks ago. At 58 people hospitalized, we haven't hit that number since Thursday, July 9th. Latimer says seven people died from COVID-19 in the last week. Now, in the last two weeks, we've lost 12 individuals. From Sunday, July 19th until Sunday, September 13th, that's a stretch of almost two months, we lost 12 people. So we lost 12 people in about two months. We have now lost 12 people in two weeks. With the latest statistics, Latimer says the county is taking action. What is within the authority of the Westchester County Health Commissioner, Dr. Shalita Amler, she will be doing, which is to issue an order for masks to be worn in all schools in Westchester County. He says masks can be removed only during mask breaks, when eating, or during vigorous activity. We now are going to institute a, uh, a mandate that students, wherever they are in an in-class situation, must wear a mask. And this applies to public school, 
parochial school, private schools, charter schools, all across the board. And the leadership of the various uh, school districts, we've consulted with them. Uh, we have heard uh, support for this mass proposal. It is not unique. Orange County and Rockland County have both imposed it more recently. Masks also must be worn on school buses. We have not attached any f penalties to school districts for lack of enforcement. We will see what the level of enforcement is if we can accomplish that across the board. Latimer is considering restrictions elsewhere. We're going to be making an assessment of youth sports in all of its manifestations. The Westchester County Health Department will do that. We are not prepared to shut down youth sports, but we're going to be looking at them to assess the risks and how they're being run. He says the concern is more with leagues than with school sports that are permitted and municipal sports. Latimer says the county health commissioner could issue orders in this area. In addition, Latimer says 50% of the county workforce will work remotely by October 26th, and he has a request for businesses. And we are encouraging all local businesses all local entities to make the similar assessment. We cannot mandate this, but we think that every business should make an assessment and consider how much of their workforce can return to working remote at this time. Latimer says the steps being taken are just the beginning unless the numbers substantially reverse course. He addresses the outbreak at Iona College in New Rochelle, which now has 87 active cases. The Iona outbreak is significant but when we're looking at growth that's now been steady over the last couple of weeks, it doesn't account for what the, uh, the overall uh, jump has been. He says in general, throughout the county, there have been a number of social gatherings where people flout social distancing and mask-wearing guidelines. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Allison Dunn. Special Olympics New York, celebrating its 50th anniversary, has launched a new campaign to remedy what it says is a gap sponsorship for disabled athletes. As the Legislative Gazette's Jackie Orchard found out, one local star keeps beating the odds. Special Olympics New York, celebrating its 50th anniversary, is launching a new campaign to remedy what it says is a gap in sponsorship for disabled athletes. And, as I found out, one local star keeps beating the odds. Izzy Brinkerhoff-Fletcher is a 10-time Special Olympics gold medalist in gymnastics. She has Down syndrome, and the 14-year-old Clifton Park resident has been competing for six years. Fletcher says she loves looking out into a huge stadium and seeing her family cheering her on. I would bring my whole family. My family could come. You know what? They want to come. They want to come and watch. She says it makes her feel proud and powerful. I was just a shout out my name. They shout her name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a champion. Yeah. That's her coach, Marlene Michaels, who you also hear. Watching Fletcher practice walking across a balance beam or hanging from a bar, you might think, what's the big deal? I can do that. But to understand what makes Fletcher special, you first have to understand her condition. Dr. Judith Lucas is a developmental behavioral pediatrician at Albany Medical Center. She specializes in caring for children and teenagers with developmental disabilities. Down syndrome is a chromosomal abnormality when an individual inherits three copies of the 21st chromosome. Dr. Lucas says people born with Down syndrome are at risk for a host of medical, developmental, and psychiatric issues as they age. Most commonly, they experience a significant gross motor delay which is the major muscles involving movement. 
Dr. Lucas says kids with Down syndrome have decreased muscle strength and tone, difficulties with muscle coordination, motor planning, and spatial awareness, all required of a gymnast. She then skips over to the leveled bars to demonstrate a flexed hang. She pushes herself up with extended legs, all things that Dr. Lucas says should be impossible for her. The fact that she's able to do those things, given her disability, is nothing short of remarkable. Uh, because individuals with Down syndrome often have difficulties coordinating big movements like that. They have difficulties um, with strength, with you know, even climbing upstairs. Uh, they have difficulties with easy fatigability. Uh, they get tired easy. Dr. Lucas says this is also why Fletcher is only competing against about five others in her age group. Most people with Down syndrome simply cannot handle the rigorous schedule of an athlete. It's harder for them to learn, which she says is another way in which Fletcher is unique. Most coaching is verbal. You know, her ability to understand, interpret, comprehend, and then act on verbal directions. It's, it's truly remarkable. Jason Gaylert is a program coordinator for the Down Syndrome Association Hudson Valley. Gaylert says Fletcher's ability to work out at the gym once a week and practice gymnastics is notable for another reason, attention span. You know, Down Syndrome, their focus is, you know, you only have that short time when then their focus shifts to something else. So to keep them on track and to maintain that focus is, is huge. Gaylert's daughter has Down Syndrome. He says people just aren't educated about it, even when someone in their family has it. I have a lot of dads that are like, you know, won't even interact with their kid because of the Down syndrome because they think, you know, I can't play ball with my kid or, you know, you know, they're not normal. And I'm like, that's not true. It's like, you know, it's like it just takes a little extra practice and patience. And that's, that's all it takes. Hey, 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 how are you doing karate? Colin does karate. How are you doing baseball? Fletcher's sister Molly plays hockey, her brother Colin is in karate and baseball, and sister Mackenzie plays softball. Fletcher says gymnastics has given her something that is just hers in a family of athletes. But Fletcher can't seem to get a major corporate sponsor. The first International Special Olympics Games were held in Chicago in 1968. More than 50 years later, Fletcher's coach, Marlene Michaels, says they still feel ignored by big brands. It's a hard um, thing to swallow, knowing that there are big names that sponsored other athletes out there that are same, just like my Izzy, that is um, competing or practicing, excuse me, practicing once a week or all week and then in big competitions. And then they're able to get big sponsors to help them as a personal athlete or their team move on, go to competitions, travel, and that's just what we want for our athletes as well. If you know you're destined for greatness, who can stop you? I love you, fellas. I love you, too. <laughs> to learn more about the Your Brand Here campaign or other programs for people with Down syndrome in New York State, go to wamc.org. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Jackie Orchard. No cut! <laughs> 
And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2043. Or just listen or podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at the same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina.